Welcome back to Sweat and Bullets, a fantasy football podcast. I'm your host, D.O.P. Encounter. With me, as always, is Jacob Sanderson. How are you doing tonight, Jacob? Oh, I'm doing great. Um, I'll be honest, it's been a bit of a busy day at work, but a great way to end it at 9.40 p.m., kicking off a podcast with you. I just watched uh, Victor Wimbanyama's uh, NBA debut. I caught the last uh, quarter of that, so that was fun. I imagine you were very focused on the basketball opening tip these uh, last couple of days. Yeah, that's one of my one of my definite things is knowing players' names like Victor. He's my dude. Oh come on, you don't know Victor? Wim- this has got to be a bit. No, I uh, he was like the first overall pick, the French LeBron James. Yeah, I don't. He's I don't been, know. Like, all, there's been all this that- fanfare about him for several years. So, like, when I was a teenager, I used to watch a lot of, like, wow, sports this centers. Is just, this is just lame. You know? Do you want to just restart the show? Like, people people don't have to hear this. Do, do you remember kind of like, an embarrassing the thing when we all had cable and we would watch Sports Center, and therefore we would have, like, a well-rounded sports knowledge? And then yeah, we all some cut of us the cord, stay up today. not have that, and now the sports that I don't follow intently, I know nothing about. Like, zero. So I did not know who that is. I didn't even know that the NFL or the NBA draft had a marquee player in it, let alone what his name was. Yeah, it's like he's like a like a Connor Bedard situation. You know okay. who Connor Bedard is, yeah. right? Yeah, of course. I like uh, come on. I'm in Canada, man. All right, there we go. Actually, we anyway. went, one funny story. I don't really follow hockey that closely anymore either. And we, my son's hockey team, we like got to go to the game last year while the Regina Pats were in town. And it was my first ever time going to the game, and it was packed, like packed. And I had no idea why. I was just like, man, this is like a crazy oh, hockey town. So- okay, so you don't know who Victor Wembanyama is. You didn't no. know who Connor Bedard was. So, this is just well, I knew who he was. I just didn't realize that he was playing for the Regina Pats. I guess I don't know. Do you know, do you know who Caleb Williams is? Yes. Yes, I've heard of him. We're talking like MLB now or – <laughs> oh my goodness gracious all right this this show is a complete disaster we've talked about basketball. this is a football show we don't talk you've about been exposed sports. you've been exposed as a complete basketball ignoramus uh is it ignoramus or ignoramus uh, i think it's the second the latter okay, ignoramus and regardless one who I is ignorant would of basketball never, i would never ever deny that i know nothing of basketball unfathomable all right well we are here to talk about football what are we going to talk about tonight drew i think that uh this is the time of year we're kind of like how do i frame this we are we are at the point of the season where we have haves and have nots like our teams are either likely you know we know where we're at we're not like finding it out at this point so i think one of the most interesting aspects of this time of year is the running back position where we have you know substantial injury risk we have substantial like nuking available. Like a lot of guys between now and the end of the season are going to disappear, and going into next season especially are going to uh, be on pretty shaky ground. And what I'd like to do right now is just go through basically any of the like interesting top valued running backs. Let's say in like the top thirty, and figure out what we think is going to happen. Like, are they going to get? 
you know, Najee Harris, like a couple of years ago, I was like, hey, Najee to be, Harris. To be clear, we're not going to discuss all 30, right? No, we're not going to do all 30. We're going to go through the interesting okay. ones. Because it's going to be a short show. You're welcome, Matt. This is a short show. Hashtag. This might not even last Matt. an hour. This might be like a 45-minute show. It is It is very late. So, uh, like, we're not going to go through Bijan Robinson. We all know what's going to happen right. with Bijan Robinson. Yeah, Arthur Smith is going to club him over the head with a baseball bat <laughs> until he has a headache. And then with he can't play. Tyler Algier. He's going to club him with Tyler Algier. It's going to be great. Oh my god! I mean, look, I, I, I believe that he had a headache. Like Bijan even talked about it, and whatever else. But like, it's just, it's just always something with this Arthur Smith cat, you know. And I, I talked about it in the article this week. It was like, let's assume that all the headache stuff is totally true. All right, his one carry of the game comes in the last drive of the game after. Kyle Pitts is a 33-yard catch to set up what will eventually be the game-winning field goal by Young Wei Koo. And so all he's really doing on that carry is like, uh, frankly, I thought it was actually pretty cowardly. Like the Pitts catch came with like 30, 40 seconds left. They could have ran more plays to make that a much shorter field goal. They end up settling for basically a 50-yard attempt, which they made. But like, I thought that was just honestly, like they put a lot more under the kicker than was necessary. All that aside, the way they played it was basically this is going to be our last play. We're just going to set up the kick and then we're going to kick it. So all you really need from the running back in that situation is like, ask your kicker, which side of the field he wants to kick from run that way, get down and bounds. Don't fumble. Like that's, that's the only thing required. It's like not the thing you need your most dynamic player for. It's basically just someone who like has the ability to like focus and be reliable and be aware of his surroundings, which to me is like not the guy who has had zero touches all game and has a migraine. So, like, to me, the fact that that was, like, the one instance where they were, like, Bijan Robinson, you're uniquely suited for this carry. Like, just, I don't know. I can't make sense of this Arthur Smith fellow. Um, I'm tired of him. I'm tired of his condescension to the media. I'm tired of his stupid usage of his players. I'm tired of his mustache. Um, yeah, it's, it's – it's, I'm, I'm done with Arthur. Yeah. I We were talking about a pre-show, and one of the – interesting things about the NFL right now, I feel, and you feel is that the coaches never really used to matter because they were all kind of bad. And I feel like now we're in an era where there are some coaches that are not bad or are not terrible. And there's really like a gap growing in the uh, have and have not department of the NFL head coaching fraternity. And it's like you watch the, what game or like the, the Dallas Cowboys is a great example. Last year yeah. they ran a really interesting offense and scored a lot of points. Everything was great. And then the offensive corner left and they reinstalled uh, Mike McCarthy as the play caller. And it's been utter disaster class since it's like, huh? I wonder what happened here. Right. <laughs> and, it, and it used to be, we used to talk about it in terms of mostly things just like, early down pass rate or play action or like it used to be kind of like the teams that run the ball a lot of the boomers and the other teams and it's like still kind of true but i think it's even gone beyond that now where it's just a matter of like the way i would look at it is you watch a game what percentage of the plays you see during the game can you recognize from like a 2005 madden playbook um (laughs) like you know you watch like the eagles you watch the dolphins you watch the colts who've basically have their staff from the Eagles. You watch 
49ers. Like, I mean, there's basically these two trees right now that are forming. It's like basically this, what the Eagles have been doing with their unique running game and then everything that Shanahan and McVay have been doing and, and their disciples. And you watch any of those and it's like, there's actual innovation. There's really interesting plays, both in the run game and the pass game. You see pretty wildly different offenses from like the McDaniel approach where they're passing constantly to like Steichen and Shanahan who are running a lot, but either way, there's like, there's stuff happening. That's interesting that defenses are adapting for, and you're seeing truly new plays every week and you watch McCarthy or you watch Josh McDaniels, you watch Bill O'Brien. And it's like, I called this play like on third and five from like ask Madden, you know, when I was seven years old, like it's curl flats, you know, like I've seen this before <laughs> and so is the defense. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's a stark difference. Uh, and it's, it's very troubling. And it, it's like, it, it, we're way off topic. This is maybe a good topic for another show. It's probably a good topic for like an off season show. Yeah. But it does make you wonder if, you know, we've always been kind of more focused on the talent aspect and taking the long view in the situation aspect, but whether or not the, the difference in situation from how far apart some of these coaches are like needs to force us to rethink kind of how we think about the game, just in really trying to invest in these offenses that actually have their shit together. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have like, you know, probably maybe not great players and the Miami backfield scoring absurd amounts of fantasy hey, hey, points hey. in short amount of time, you know, like that's pretty unprecedented. Like, um, I forget that kid's name. Uh, help me out here. I'm not helping you. I'm not helping you here after you <laughs> called him not that great. Well, he might be great. I don't know. When, could... the, enemy, when the enemy is drowning, you throw them an anchor. <laughs> it could just be the offense. Yeah. That's that's what you're saying. Um, I, so, something like that. All right. <laughs> let's 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 start talking through some of these backs here. Um, okay. Well, you had a name for this segment. Oh, right. I would like you yeah, to go ahead well, we and were Right. So Drew was like, you know, Drew came up with what we we're going to talk about today. He was like, oh, let's look at these running backs and, you know, what, what's going to happen next year. And I was like, well, we need a fun name for that, you know. So I was going to call it uh, Star, Starter, or Stuffed in a Locker. So basically, he's going to name, depending on these running backs, are they either going to stay or for some of them a little lower down the list, ascend into stardom status where we're, you know, these, this one of these quote unquote league winner types. Are they going to be a starter? So hanging on to their job, you can put them in the flex, but probably a little lower value than they have right now. Or are they stuffed in the locker? You know, meaning they're not in the league or a backup or just in some way a, a player that no longer has relevant trade value is no longer a starter in your lineup. Someone that you're going to be wishing that you sold for almost anything um, at some point in the season. So, all right, let's let's get, let's give these. Let's get these through. I've, I've told Drew to select ones that he thinks are particularly interesting. So if we bypass some like fairly obviously awesome ones or like some fairly obviously ancient ones, um, forgive yeah. us. We're going to try and talk about ones that we think can kind of legitimately go in any direction. Yeah. So I'll just like mention them. We're not going to talk about them. So like Christian McCaffrey, okay. not going to talk about Bijan Robinson, not going to talk about Brees Hall, not going to talk about Travis Etienne. I think is is interesting. Yeah. Do you think that Travis Etienne is going to ascend to superstardom, maintain his production, or like end up in like a split backfield a la Najee Harris this time next year. Well, I, well I'd argue like probably not probably doesn't have to ascend now, right? He kind of just has to maintain what he's been doing this year. Like I think he's over 20 points per game this year. 
Is he that high now? I thought he was only like 18 or 19. Um, Let me just I, look. I, he's at 19.7 right now. He's right on that okay. fringe. But yeah. All right. So, so is he going to maintain his like 20 points per game? Or is he going to drop back down to like that 18, 16 to 18? Or is he going to yeah. like end up in a timeshare? You know, or is he going to get stuffed in the locker? He's definitely not going to get stuffed in the locker. Um, Tank, Tank Bigsby, you know, some people thought Tank Bigsby might stuff him in the locker. It doesn't appear that Tank Bigsby is going to stuff him in a locker. No, he's not. Uh, I, I think he... I think he's going to be a starter, like a very good starter, but I think a starter. Um, it has not been – like it's a little hard because his fancy stats aren't that great this year. He's middle of the pack at RYOE. He's middle of the pack in most like yards after contact metrics, success rate, et cetera. I think some of that stuff is, is a little harsh on him. I, I do find Jacksonville's interior offensive line to be particularly egregious. And like to me, at watching ETN this year it reminds me a lot of watching like early career Barkley, where it's clear that he just has insane levels of juice, but that there's really not a lot of room to operate. And so you're getting these games where it's like nothing, 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 boom. <laughs> like, and you know, you combine that with the role being awesome, and he kind of has two outs every week, right? Either he can just get there on volume and touchdowns, or he can get there on one explosive play. And on occasion, you can get there on both of those things in the same week, right? And if and if all else fails, he's at least probably getting like twelve points because the the role is, is solid enough that he's just going to get there in spite of everything. I, I still think he's like a little, a, a little reliant on that like speed trump card in the sense he's just not really that all around powerful runner that I. And, and also, as a pass catcher, he's vastly improved this year, right? He's running a million routes. He's getting the, the, the receptions. But he's not like the dynamic Alvin Kamara reception getter. He's, he's more the I'm going to get three or four each week guy. So I think all things considered, like, I think he's probably playing a little bit above what is the natural fit of him in the NFL as like this true 95% opportunity share guy. When I think probably best case scenario someone else is taking a little bit of the pounding off them on some of these inside carries. And he'd probably be a little bit better off having like 14, 15 carries per game plus four or five receptions per game. So I'm going to say he's a starter. Um, I think it's very clear. He's the best running back on this team, but I, I really think they could afford to give some of the lower value touches, especially behind this offensive line to someone else and not really experience that much of a drop off. Yeah. He's uh he's got an 81.7% opportunity share number four in the world. And he's number three in routes run, like raw routes run. Like he's running all the routes. So good for him. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's got like the last three weeks, he scored two touchdowns per game. So if he can keep that up, that's going to bode well for his fantasy <laughs> points. Uh, we call that a trend. But Tank Bigsby took, Tank Bigsby took one third and one snap in the preseason. So I, I didn't think that uh, could score touchdowns. Only a matter of time then until Tank Bigsby is the guy taking <laughs> yeah. two touchdowns a game into the end zone. Yeah, no, he's, uh, you know, like one week is just one week, but two weeks is a line, three weeks is a trend, right? So now we have right. a trend, and this will uh, this will carry on into perpetuity, and uh, he's a superstar. No, I'm kidding. He's, he's I, I've, I've always, he was a bulletproof running back coming out. I always thought, like, he was good. I just never really felt like he was, like, the superstar running back, though, and I, I can't really pinpoint it. It was a multitude of things, mostly, yeah, I don't know just vibes i guess more than anything else and uh 
I, I've always viewed him as like a 60 to 65% opportunity share guy and like a back end running back one type of thing. Uh, not a superstar, but always like a good player that you want on your team. Uh, I do think that's where we're probably headed. I mean, I think the like, look, this is awesome. I think this, this was the ceiling. We're seeing the Travis Etienne ceiling case right now. You know, yeah. he's like getting the best role he's ever going to get. He's playing this, he's playing in a, in a very functional offense. Um, and, you know, maybe he keeps this up for the whole of the season. Um, if it comes off as negative, like, I'm not necessarily sure that I'm, like, amped to try and trade him away either. Like, I would need a very good offer. Um, quite frankly, like, he, he would certainly be in my top five dynasty running backs. Um, just when you combine, like, this, this ceiling uh, level and the youth and the offense that he's in. And what I do think is, like, very legitimate talent. But I, I, I tend to agree. I think the most likely scenario is that we see the next couple of years of him, if he remains healthy, being like RB six to 10 type of range, uh, yeah. maybe more than one to five, which is kind of where he's challenging this year. But in the meantime, I'm, I'm really enjoying, uh, enjoying this season. It's been very fun to watch. Yeah. Cause he's, he's, uh, he's RB four right now, 22 overall in super flex, which I, I mean, I, uh, the 22 overall probably feels steep to me. The RB four yeah. overall seems totally reasonable to me. Yeah. I completely agree. I feel like RB four, like, to me, it's, like... it's Bijan, it's Hall, and then, like, depending on your mileage, like, I, I'm fine with taking ETN next. I'm fine with McCaffrey next. I'm fine with Taylor next. Yeah. And then, but like like you said, 22 overall feels really quite high. I think there's a lot of that wide receiver quarterbacks and a couple tight ends I'd prefer over him. So I think there's a dozen quarterbacks I'm taking. Probably only one tight end I'm taking. Um, You'd rather have uh, Travis Etienne than Kyle Pitts at this point. I think I, I think, I think I might. Even though we're Arthur maybe, maybe not on like maybe not on like every single team. <laughs> Certainly Fair. not on every single team. Yeah. Um, but I mean, on enough teams, pretty like, pretty even. You think? Like Etienne, like barring substantial injury. I mean, which is the question with every running back, which is like maybe it's just that's just, you know, could be an argument just never to invest a lot in running backs if you're just constantly concerned about injury. But barring that, like he's good. He's not old. <laughs> like, I don't think he's going anywhere. Like at worst, it's going to be like a small backslide and he's scoring a ton of points right now. And that's pretty compelling compared to Pitts, who's not doing that. So I, I would view him like pretty similarly to Pitts and Laporta. I'm sure I could name 10 receivers. I like more. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Like I don't think he's like way overpriced at twenty two. I'd maybe have him at like thirty, somewhere in there. Yeah, I, I, I haven't counted, but I'm, like, gonna look, I'm gonna look where I have him like actually more. right now in my rankings. My rankings are one week out of date because I only rank every second um, week. I have him at twenty six overall. Okay, so he's not too bad at twenty two then, no. in your opinion. No. I'd probably have him maybe a little bit lower than that, just kind of based around the guys in my brain. But I could be way off because I don't do rankings in that fashion. But uh, but yeah, all right. So that's Travis Etienne. And we're 20 minutes in. We're one running back down of the top 30. Of so you're welcome, Matt. Yeah. Jonathan Taylor is currently in a timeshare. Timeshare is going away, right? I like I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I want to know that you know that the timeshare is going away. Yeah, I feel as though this week was a bit of a turning point. Um I, I thought like, I mean, the first week was kind of just like welcome back to the NFL. Let's get you a few snaps. And then the second week was kind of a thing where I felt like Honestly, like I felt like for the first two weeks, Zach Moss was kind of the better running back. And so they were just like, we're going to not like, I felt like the take was like, eventually you're going to be the better running back, but 
for now, we're just going to slow play it because Zach Moss has been pretty good. And this week was the first week where I started to think like, okay, like even if he's not all the way hashtag back yet, I fully regained confidence that we're going to get there. Like I saw enough flashes from him (laughs) where we started to see more explosiveness on the ground. We started to see him really start to get into a rhythm in the open field. They ran him on this like really dope wheel route out of the backfield. He made a 20 yard catch on. It was like, all right, all right. And he played, I think it was 35 snaps and got a touch like a target or a carry on 22 of them. So when he was out there, they were force feeding him the rock. Um, you know, you take 22 touches. It's like, you don't even necessarily need an 80% snap share if you're getting that on half the snaps. Yeah. So I, I think that we're, we're clearly moving uh, towards Jonathan Taylor getting into the 75% snap share range. And the most important thing to me was he, he was already playing more of the passing snaps ahead of Zach Moss. So that receiving ceiling, um, I don't know what it's going to be like long-term with Richardson, but like in the short term, Minshew, man, he loves throwing those running backs. So I, I think was, we're going to see some like eight, nine target games over the back half of this season for Taylor. I was literally just going to say, I, I'm really like, I'm really thinking that Jonathan Taylor is a strong buy right now because we have yeah. Gardner Minshew for the rest of the season. There's a little player came out of Jacksonville. He's a number four overall <laughs> pick. His name's Leonard Fournette. He had like 70 receptions or something with Gardner Minshew oh, yeah. under helm. And uh, that is like far and away Leonard Fournette's best receiving season. And Leonard Fournette was a good receiver. Like, I don't know, good receiver is the right word, but Very. like a prominent receiver for his yeah. entire career. But that season was like another level for him. And I'm like, if we get like something like that from somebody as good as Jonathan Taylor that would be a really, really exciting finish of the year. Like, I think Jonathan Taylor has strong possibility of, like, being the number one fantasy win the championship running back this season. Minshew convinced people that James Robinson was a good pass catcher. Uh, like Gar- Gardner Minshew will check down to anyone. Um, I mean, the, the, the game against Jacksonville, I think he threw, like, 17 times to Zach Moss and Jonathan Taylor combined. Like, yeah. it's, I mean, there, it wasn't, they didn't throw that much this week, but if they play from behind in future weeks, like it's just going to be Minshew playing from behind is he just checks it down repeatedly. So it's going to be fun. Um, I, I think Jonathan Taylor, I, I guess it depends on your definition of superstar because I think Taylor is always going to be more likely to live in like the very high teens yeah. than the twenties just because outside of maybe this year with Minshew, yeah. he's going to be predominantly relying on, on rushing. Um, but like, I would feel better about his 2024 plus slightly at least than ETNs. Um, so maybe if, maybe if I had ETN as like a very high end in the starter tier, or I have ET, I have Taylor as like the very low end of the superstar tier. If that makes yeah. Sense. I, I think like for, for me with Jonathan Taylor right now, I'm like, we should probably buy Jonathan Taylor. I think he's gonna have a really, really strong end of season, which is going to have a very solid uh, result on his fantasy value. And then we have all off season to figure out what we want to do at that point. Right. And I just feel like it's, we're probably going to win our league with like, that's, that's a bit extreme. We're not going to have like a 90% chance of winning our league with Jonathan Taylor, but he's probably going to give us as strong of a chance as any other running back other than Christian McCaffrey to win our league this year. I like, I honestly think he's probably RB two in points per game from like now forward rest of the season, uh, which is, going to be great 
And then we can take that like momentum into the offseason. We'll have, oh, the offense is going to be better. Anthony Richardson's back. Look at how he like had this really strong EPA. He's a real quarterback. This is going to be awesome. And then we can just go ahead and if the masses like go overboard and like pump JT way up like they have in the past, mm. then we get out. And if the masses just like slow play it, then we'll just hold. Right. And he's I still going to score there's... 18, 19 points a game anyway, even with Richardson next year. So it's for fine. sure, like I think the real fear with Taylor was like, what if Richardson's a stone disaster and the offense just doesn't mm-hmm. move? And then, and but that's like that's not going to happen. Um, yeah. I mean, and the nice thing that every single Colt from Taylor to Downs to Pittman, like everybody's really benefiting from just how many plays they run every single game with Shane Steichen. Like they're just playing at an yeah. absolute breakneck pace. They were doing that with Richardson. They're doing that with Minshew. Um, I have no reason to think that won't stick. So like they're, they're just going to be stealing additional reps for every one of their players every single week. Um, which is really exciting if you're owning Colts moving forward. Um, who's next on your list? Kenneth Walker. Is he going to actually lose his role to Zach Charbonnet? Uh, this was pretty easy for me. Like Ken Walker is very good at like certain things. I still think he has certain limitations. Um, we saw when Charbonnet wait, wait. was playing. Like, when you're saying he has certain limitations, are you talking about like how, how Tyreek is in a full-fledged wide receiver? <laughs> is that the limitations you're speaking of? Yeah. That I kind of limitations? Reading B. Burke ESPN or whatever it was on Twitter. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Ken Walker, he's been more impressive as a pass catcher this year. Certainly, he's still not you know setting the world on fire by any stretch. He's still in the bottom half in yards per run. Um He's always going to have some level of consistency issues as a runner. How much you care about that, I guess, depends on how you view running back play. And maybe Pete Carroll doesn't care about that that much. But, like, it's still a guy that, you know, even within just a few weeks into the season, Charbonnet was eating into his snap shares quite a bit. Walker was a guy who, when he was playing, when he was on the field, he was getting a really high percentage of touches on his snaps, which is really encouraging. Um, He's been running very hot uh, in terms of the touchdowns where they've had a lot more rushing touchdowns than receiving touchdowns. That's just something we always see balance out from, you know, first half of season to second half of season or from season to season. Um, Ultimately, Walker to me is like kind of a, you know, it's like a slightly worse version of the two guys that we just talked about. So I think he'll be like right in the midst of that starter range, kind of a low end um, to low end RB1, probably probably for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think I, I like he's only got an eight point seven percent target share this year, which is like he's been he he's he actually is at number twelve, running back twelve in yards per run, but his target share is quite low. Eight point seven percent is number twenty seven, which is not inspiring. Uh, which was always the concern with him. Like I we It's we, fine. It's legitimately we, it's legitimately improved from like last year, but it's 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 yeah. a long way away from where it's like this it's a long way away from where we're like, yeah, he's like a real running back, like fantasy running back, where he's going to be a threat no matter the game script. Like, that's not him. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I, I – yeah, he's he's a notch down from ETN and, and JT. I think JT is like the high teens. ETN's probably like the 18 mark. And then Walker's probably like 16 to me, which is like essentially Josh Jacobs the last number of years other than last year. Jacobs was always like in that 15 to 15.5 range. That's curious how you have him twelve for yards per route run. I I have him minimum ten targets. Um, I have him I'm at just twenty six. I'm just looking at uh, player profiler. Okay, I, I'm 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 PFF at least. I don't know what their cutoff is. PFF at least um, has him one point oh eight yards per route run, which is twenty sixth of um, it looks like fifty for ten plus targets of running back. 
Yeah, so I don't know what the cutoff is for this one, but uh, they got them at number 12, and they got them at a different number of yards per run as well. Well, they're always going to have a different number because they calculate it differently. But yeah. yeah. Nevertheless, he's whatever. It's fine. He's not a he's not a receiving back. He he'll be on the field. He'll catch some passes, but he's not like the focal point of the passing game, which I think makes him like that vintage Josh Jacobs type. Uh, yeah. Okay. More explosive, so, but yeah, yeah, way more explosive than Josh Jacobs, which is I yeah. think like sixteen ish rather than fifteen. But uh, anyway, Saquon Barkley, we can probably skip over him. He's not going to lose his role. He might end up on a new team. That'll be whatever. Yeah, I still think there's like some name value to Barkley where like I think I would still not be overly interested. Like he's he's not like it's just he's he's not going to have like that difference making of a season this year. I don't think like he's just not really the same level of receiver that he's been when he was really young with Eli Manning. The offense is not very good. You know, he'll have weeks like he had this week where it's a pop, and he'll have weeks like he had the week before where it's like you look at it and it's like, oh, my God, he had 28 touches and he had 12 fantasy points. Like, I I would still, like, if I think next season when he's no longer on the Giants and he's a free agent, like, look, there's ways for him to win out in a big way and land on a massive, on, like, an awesome team and um, wind up scoring a ton of points. He's also just going to be facing washed risk like every year from the rest of his career. He's going to be facing massive injury and value can never recover risk for the rest of his career. So like I would just personally be fading the chance that he like lands on the Chiefs and scores 22 points per game. And I would take the other bulk of the chance where he's either going to have like, you know, one more 17 points per game season and then die or like die even faster than that. And I, I, I would be getting out for as long as I think his value is like a base first plus. Um, Cause I, I don't think that that's going to last for much longer. Yeah. He's, he's what he is now. Like he's not the Saquon Barkley of old. So I concur. I don't think that he's like, I, I get it. If you're holding McCaffrey, right? he's, he's, he's starter, right? Here. Like that's what we're talking about. Like superstar. For starter. sure. Up the locker, right, but start. for how much? But for and he, but he's already down to starter, and he's old as hell. So like, it's hard. Yeah, it's tough. He's twenty six. It's, it's not like you're. That's old for running backs. Like, and he's he's an old twenty six man. Like he's had a lot of injuries. And he's had a lot he's, of touches. Yeah, he's two years older than Travis Etienne. Old, true, super old. All right, Jameer Gibbs. I just think like you look at him at RB seven, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you just you just mentioned Gibbs. HN really we're gonna talk about like I would rather have Gibson HN over Barkley by an absolute mile. Um and then like then there's a lot of other guys where it's like if you want to argue Barkley over the rest of these olds, I don't really have a problem with it either way. But he's the one that kind of has more value than the rest of these guys who I think are all largely the same. Yeah, I think there's like a teardrop here. Like we get through like Kenneth Walker, Jameer Gibbs. And then maybe Devin a chain, and then we have like a teardrop, and then it's like, yeah, I guess Saquon Barkley's the yeah, next. Then we guy. have all these. Then we have all Whatever. these vets, and yeah. I, and yeah, and there's like I don't know. There's some other guys we can talk about, but anyway, Jameer Gibbs. Let's talk about him because he just had his first like, yeah, I consider a breakout game. Um, yeah. Any chance the Lions actually ever give him superstar work? Uh, depends what you mean by that. Like, I mean, he's gonna score twenty points a game. Uh, I think 
I think it's very possible that happens at some point. I think probably not next year. I think that's probably something you'd hope for maybe by like year three. I mean, next year, David Montgomery is clearly going to be on the team. And I, I just think that like, as long as David Montgomery is on the team and serviceable, he's going to have a role. Yeah. Um, so the nice thing with the Lions is like their running back usage is, is really heavy. So they have, they can have several games where like there's 28 to 30 running back points available and you just have to get, you know, 60% of them to post an RB one week. Um, I also think what's the most interesting part for me with Gibbs is like, not even really like, is he going to get all these goal line carries and get all these inside runs? I, I just don't think that that's, super likely early in his career. We didn't see guys like Camaro or McCaffrey or Eckler get that type of workload until, you know, I think year two for McCaffrey, but for some of those other guys, like even into year four, year five. Um, I think what's most interesting to me is like, are they actually going to use this guy as a receiver in the way that we would want? And then B, what's the contingent upside? Like, is it just Monty standing in his way or is it just Gibbs standing in his way? And I thought this week was really, really encouraging. Like, Monty's out and gives got 87% of the snaps. So it was like, okay, like, you know, if that's the deal, if the deal is like we get, you know, all the receiving work and we have to split, we have to lose the goal line work with Monty, but we also get to buy this contingent upside where he gets to just be this like superstar RB one overall contender. Anytime Monty's out, like, you know, that's pretty interesting to me. Um, and then, the other aspect that was fun, like uh, even in the first half, I thought he was getting really dynamic route deployment where they were lining him outside. They were lining him, they were running him on choice routes. They were running him on these like rail routes. And I was like texting my buddy halftime. I was like, man, it's like too bad that the Dolphins are getting blown out of the stadium because I think Gibbs would have had a really good game if they could have like ran more than 15 plays before they were down 35 points. Um, <laughs> And, you know, God bless the Lions in the second half for doing a solid for all the fantasy managers out there and playing their stars, like, all the way till the bitter end of a game that they were losing by 32. <laughs> um, like, and it kept up in the second half. Like, it was not, if you watch all the Gibbs stuff, it was not just purely checkdowns. A lot of the fourth quarter stuff was, but he had, like, a really cool design screen pass where they did, like, a fake reverse, came back to him with a convoy out front. They had him run several choice routes, which is, like, he's running through the line, Sitting against the linebacker, reading the leverage, breaking one way or the other way. He hit on a rail route, which is like a wheel route um, going down the sideline against Mesh. Like it was pretty much everything you want to see out of a really dynamic receiving running back, how he was getting used. It was encouraging that they looked at it and said, like, look, we're not just going to force this square peg into this round hole this week. We're going to build a game plan for our backfield that involves Gibbs' strengths. It was a long way away from, frankly, what they did in the Falcons game, where I thought they did just kind of force Gibbs to play the David Montgomery role. So this was super encouraging to see out of a bye week. I hope that we get another week um, where he gets to do this, hopefully in a game where they're playing maybe from ahead against the Raiders um, with hopefully, uh, no, nothing against David Montgomery, but I'm kind of just hoping he misses another week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, I kind of uh, you know, if I'm being honest. Really? Um, you want Montgomery yeah. back? I I feel like I want more opportunity to buy Jameer Gibbs before we get to the trade deadline. And every week okay. that David Montgomery plays, I feel like I have an extended buying period on Jameer Gibbs. Uh, I think he is like like he's got a sixteen point three percent target share, and he left one game early. Sixteen point three percent target share is is absurd for a rookie running back. Like really, really strong. Yeah. So. I like 
I know it's like cliche to be like he's Alvin Kamara, but he's freaking Alvin Kamara. Like he's he's lighter than Alvin Kamara. I totally understand that he's not actually Alvin Kamara, but he's like he's getting that type of like receiving workload. And the coach happens to be the coach who coached Alvin Kamara, which is kind okay. of like one of those things where it's like I don't know is this a parallel or is this just how it worked out? Right, and, and Alvin uh, Kamara had a Mark Ingram for several of his great seasons, who was Alvin getting Kamara, a lot of carries. I, I've played Dynasty Fantasy Football for many years at this point, and I remember in 2017 at the end of the year being like, ooh, I don't know about Alvin Kamara. He only had like a 37% snap share. Oh, uh, year two, I don't know about Alvin Kamara. He's only getting 50% of the uh, opportunities. Oh, I don't know about Alvin Kamara the next year. And then, and then that was before I really understood about like, you know, target share and like targets being 1.5 times what a, or whatever. No, it's 2.2 times. Three times. Three times. Like, I didn't know that 10 years ago or however long that goes, seven years ago. Right. Uh, and then, you like, that's how you learn that kind of stuff, right? So it's like, yeah. well, if Jameer Gibbs is already number five in the NFL, 16.3% target share, we're talking about a guy who's probably going to be in that 20% plus range, and that's easily going to make him a top five contender. He may not, be, he may not lead the world in fantasy points, but he's a top five contender with a 20% target share. And, right, and I would argue exciting. I would argue that not that much of this week's game would have been that different if David Montgomery was playing. Like he certainly would have seen less of the carries, right? He got eleven carries, maybe he sees five of them. Okay. Yeah, and how many points does he score on those extra six carries? Not a lot. Probably right. Okay, that. he got one carry inside the ten yard line where he got stuffed. He wouldn't have seen that carry. Big whoop. He didn't score it in any way. Mm-hmm. Ceiling is obviously higher without David Montgomery because he has a chance to see goal line work. But yep. like his touchdown came on like a 30-yard toss play. They were already usually getting him into the game to run those outside toss plays. That's probably yep. would have been a Gibbs play regardless. Um, a lot of the pass down work, like a lot of the stuff that was designed for him is always the stuff that's going to go to Gibbs. They don't do those kinds of routes for David Montgomery. They yep. occasionally throw him little checkdowns as an outlet if he doesn't need to be pass protecting. Some of those checkdowns maybe go to Monty, but we haven't really seen this team with both running backs active and negative script yet. Like a lot of the games that they've had both backs have been Monty favorable scripts where they've gotten way up on teams and they've just been able to run Monty into the line repeatedly. You know, I, I do think like we're going to see a game at some point in time this year where Monty is active and Gibbs is active. And the first half is the split that the split is. And then they're going to fall behind and they're going to throw. And it's going to be a lot of Jameer Gibbs, I think, running a lot of routes, right? We'll see. Maybe it's more Monty in for pass protection than I expect. But I, I do tend to think that like, a lot of the fun pass down stuff that we saw from Gibbs could still happen with Monty in the fold. And it's just going to be like a game script dependent thing and a matchup dependent thing. I don't necessarily know. I'm not saying it has to be, they have to fall behind 32. I just mean like, you know, how many times do we see like these saints games where you see these back and forth games and it's like, yeah, Ingram comes in and plays and then Kamara comes in and plays. But when Kamara's in, they're throwing to him. And I think that the more we see the lions in fun back and forth, game styles where they have to be throwing the ball and they have to be looking for explosive plays and they're not just running the clock out into the line repeatedly. I think we're going to see some big games alongside David Montgomery this, this season from Gibbs. I, I think he'll be a starter the rest of the season, regardless of Montgomery's injury status. And I held that opinion, honestly, prior to this week, but even more buttressed by how they used him. And I think maybe not next year, but I think at some point in time, we will see like a 20 plus point per game Jameer Gibbs season. Yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think he's probably, like for me, he's a fringy RB1 rest of season with David Montgomery healthy. 
And then that's like, you know, 14, 15 points per game. And then we get to next season. And I'm like, he's probably going to be more involved next season, even with David Montgomery. We're probably talking like, you know, top six upside. And then anytime that David Montgomery's out, RB1 overall is in play. And David Montgomery's probably going to miss some games at some point because most running backs do. And in those games, he's going to smash. And then we're going to end up with like a, you know, 18 point season. And then in the event that they actually do ever give him the fit, give him the role, it's going to be 20 points and it's going to be awesome. So he's, a, he's like a heavy buy for me, I think. Yeah. And, I agree. Uh, and yeah. So I, I don't know. I like looking at it. I'm like, I, I'm, I probably have Jameer Gibbs like in the Jonathan Taylor, Travis Etienne range of where I would have him ranked. I think that's pretty fair. I, I have him a tick behind just because I, I do think you're getting a little bit more fragility with that role, but you're also getting the upside of the elite receiving profile and of the youth. So, um, you know, maybe I should have him not the top of the tier below, but sort of the back of that tier. Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm here and I'm talking myself into that a little bit. Well, it's just like, like we, if DeAndre Swift, right? Like he just played with the Lions. He had, a, I think it was a 12 or 13% target share as a rookie. He jumped to like a 20% target share in his second year. Jameer right. Gibbs is like four or five percentage points already ahead of him in the first yeah. half of his rookie year. Like Jameer Gibbs could be a 20% target share player rest of season at this point, which would be insane because they have that other guy there. I can't remember his name. Uh, he's dropped in the first round last year. He's terrible. And uh, that kind of paves the way. They're not going to be throwing him the ball. Jameer so. <laughs> Gibbs deep threat makes a lot of sense to me. He did put up, I think, like 150 air yards this week, but he put up zero real yards. Yeah, so there's there's an element there that was missing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He was doing the, the, the Donovan Peoples-Jones thing, except they were like throwing it to him and he just wouldn't catch it. Yeah, it's tough. Anyway, uh, all right, who's next on your list here? We're going to skip Austin Eckler because he's old and he's probably going to score points, so whatever. Devin A. Chain is next after that. Yeah, superstar. Superstar? Yes. Like you you were putting him higher than Jonathan Taylor, Travis Etienne, uh, like everyone, basically. I mean, this is a hard he's game to play back because, one. like, it's a hard game to play because, like, if I'm ranking him, I'm kind of caring about his whole range of outcomes. And, like, I think that the floor – is certainly like lower on him than Etienne and Taylor and Gibbs because the sample size is so tiny and he's so tiny. Um, a lot but of like lot of size going on here. But like, if you're just asking me, like, you know, if we're not like dealing with like trying to broadcast range of outcomes from first percentile to 99th percentile, and we're just going on like, what do I think is is in the cards? Like, I mean, the upside here is just absolutely out of this universe like he's shown to be one of the most efficient talents in the entire league he's playing in the have offense of all have offenses um and he hasn't even gotten an overly large snap share yet like he, he's just been crushing it on on efficiency which you know is part a credit to him and it's part a credit to this offense and you almost would rather it be a you know, that last part, right? Like we're seeing now over multiple seasons, this Mike McDaniel offense have the ability to create outlier level of efficiency for multiple different guys over the course of multiple years. Doesn't mean it's guaranteed to happen every game in, game out, season in, season out, right? Jalen Waddle had this like 
unsustainable efficiency last year. And so far it's been unsustainable. Um, Tyree kills unsustainable efficiency has become more, even more efficient. Um, Devon A. Chain's efficiency. Mostert has been absurdly efficient. I think Mostert's like pretty old and not even all that great. And he's been uh, incredibly efficient. So in terms of melding this talent profile that I've always loved with a scheme fit and then just the general offense, like I think that there's a pretty reasonable chance that if HN, if you just tell me that HN is going to be healthy all next year and play 60% or more of the snaps, like I do think we're looking at 20 plus points per game. Hmm. I'm going to throw cold water on the fire and probably not go that extreme to superstar. Uh, that is that is uh, blowing my mind to some degree to go all the way to superstar. I had like one year ago, were we not talking about Jonathan Taylor as the best rusher maybe ever? Yeah, but Devon Achan wasn't in the league yet. And like Nick Chubb, the best pure rusher we've ever seen. And like these guys still never put up incredible seasons. Right, but HN actually gets past past the ball. Is it, like I thought you said he wasn't that good as a receiver. Well, that's what's been so exciting. Is like his college profile to me was serviceable receiver, incredible rusher, kind of a weird size profile. But like the way they've used him has been, you know, really exciting. Where he comes in, he's based, he's played four games, but really he's played three games. Um, three games. He played like two snaps, and in those three games, like. He's been he's been received eleven targets, which or ten targets, which is not a ton. But the way that they've used him is exciting around the goal line. They've used him, you know, not just on these boring swing passes, but really intentional usage. The whole thing with HN has been limited snaps, but intentional usage, where it's all about getting this explosive player into space. And this offense creates more space than anybody. So it's I don't think it's ever going to make sense. Like, nothing in this Dolphins offense, I almost just feel like, can be judged the same way. And this applies to HN, applies to Mostert, it applies to Hill, it applies to Waddle. Like, everybody just gets a Dolphins bump until we find out that this offense doesn't function anymore. But for as long as we think that Mike McDaniel can keep this thing rolling, like, they're going to continue to create space for playmakers. And HN's a playmaker. Like, he has, what was it? I think it was in his first three starts, had like two of the highest rush yards over expected totals of any back in the last three years. Um, it was just like a chance game. And then another a chan game. Like it's been pretty exceptional and it's been exceptional even above far above and beyond what we've seen out of like Mostert and Jeff Wilson in this offense. And certainly like Chase Edmonds was horrible in this offense. So I think the offense carries a lot of the water here, but a chan has been as absolutely exceptional as you can expect. I mean, you want to talk about like Alvin Kamara and a guy where, you know, you don't want to be slow on betting on the uber efficient talent in this creative scheme that uses running backs really creatively. Like to me, that's Achan even more than it skips. So I, I'm taking Achan um, for sure here as being like an, a truly ascendant bet that has risk, but is like worth worth shooting for the moon on. I, I truly think. I, I guess I keep coming back to. Is he the best running back we've ever seen, ever? And if he isn't, then he's going to need more than 60% of the opportunities to be okay, a superstar. Okay, sure. But why can't he get more than 60% of the opportunities? I don't know. In year two. Like, he's played three games. Let's not, let's not say, like, that he's capped, you know? I guess where I'm coming from is if he's not an exceptional receiver, which 
by all reports from no. you. He's not no, an he's not a Gibbs level receiver. So then how are we getting him to these extreme like Jonathan Taylor had like one of the most efficient seasons. He had tons of opportunity and he right. still only scored 20 points a game. Um, I don't think it's as much that he's literally the best running back we've ever seen, although I'm not ruling it out. <laughs> I think it's more that he is the most explosive running back that we've ever seen playing in the most explosive offense we've ever seen. All right. I I guess I will uh I will take the Like under. if you dropped if you drop prime Chris Johnson into this Miami offense, like wouldn't that be pretty fucking fun? Yeah, yeah, it would. I just because uh, it's happening. It's, it's happening. It's on. Prime Chris Johnson. Let's just see. I'm just gonna think. If we can I mean, HM, look. I don't think that he's like. There's probably a lot of things that HN can't do because he's very small. But so, so he does things. He does things on a football field that just like no other running back, or, or frankly, very many players can do. Like his touchdown against the Giants was like incomprehensible. He has the ball running to the outside. Like he's like 15 yards behind a safety who has outside leverage on him. And he just beats him to the sideline because he's so much faster than him. Like any time that he has any level of space, he is such a threat to just house call it that I don't think that any sort of expected points metric is ever going to fully capture that type of week to week upside and efficiency because there's no other running back in the NFL that is physically capable of housing as many plays as he is when he's out in the open field. Like you have to go back to guys like Chris Johnson and Jamal Charles to me that like really remind me of that same level of explosion where like truly any carry is a threat to go to the house. If he breaks through the offensive line untouched, it's, it's, it's on. So Chris Johnson, here's his points per game by season. 16.7. This is rookie season. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Playing in a very sad Titans team, by the way. Very sad Titans team. 24.1. Dude killed it. 358 carries. 2,006 yards. Amazing. And then the rest of his career, 17.1, 14.1, 13.2, 15.0. This is the fastest player we've ever seen in the NFL. Getting 200 – his minimum – carries in a season in his first six seasons is 262 carries. The fastest player we've ever seen, the most juiced up player ever. I mean, what did we start the show with? We were talking about the evolution in coaching. Yeah. Chris Johnson is the type of player that probably could have had an, I mean, he had an exemplary career, but probably could have had an even better career if there were Mike McDaniels and Kyle Shanahan's and Sean McVay's around instead of Jeff Fisher's when he was, I was just going to say, who was his coach? Was it Jeff Fisher the whole time? It was Jeff, Jeff Fisher, Fisher. Coached with the Titans for like what, like 10 years or something. It was, it was Jeff Fisher who like, if you want to think of who you'd not want to have your four, two, two explosive running back <laughs> world changing speed with it's Jeff Fisher. Renowned um, offensive genius. You know, and he obviously exceeded in spite of Mr. Fisher. But like I, I definitely think that we have if we're gonna acknowledge that like there's many ways in which this game is changing into these haves and have nots, like we, we have to acknowledge that certain types of players, when they're fit with these types of schemes, we're going to see things that are hard to comprehend on our spreadsheets. Like 
I'm not saying he's going to keep, keep average. I don't know how many yards per carry he has right now. Nobody's saying um, that. Like, let's it's not going to stay the same. Nobody's assuming that. Right. But like this type of ups, like he, it seems like early on he's been breaking one of these 80-yard runs every single game. That's not going to continue. There's going to be games yeah. where that's not going to happen. But it's going to happen a lot more frequently for him in this offense, just as it happens a lot more frequently for Hill and for Waddle. Uh, you know, not this year yet for Waddle, but over the longer run, then it happens for most of these dudes in other offenses. Like, I would still love Devon and Chain anywhere in the NFL, but it, uh, this is that spot where, like, you know, I was talking about should we care more about situation? It's not like I'm just caring about situation blindly in the sense that I'm saying, like, literally any Miami Dolphins running back would be the RB1 overall, but it's a mix of this specific player in this specific situation and what his skill set is it's a match made in absolute heaven and I, I think that if we're shooting for upside like you know there's you're always talking about shooting for upside shoot for the upside of the player who's had record level efficiency since he stepped onto an nfl field playing for a record-setting offense like what more do you want how is that not a bet worth taking he's uh I guess where I'm coming from is that kind of back to our Jameer Gibbs conversation is upside mostly comes from receiving. And if he's not an exceptional receiver, then I don't know that he has exceptional upside. He's small and he doesn't, he's not exceptional at receiving. So what are we talking here? Like 12% target or target shares? Like, I don't know. Like that's fine. He'll probably be like a, maybe a backend RB one. Unless he gets 300 carries like Chris Johnson did, 350 carries. He had 358 carries that one year where he scored 24.1 fantasy points per game. And, and he averaged right, five yards is, per carry. Which I think is like, okay, I mean, 358 isn't going to happen because we're not in Jeff Fisher world it's, anymore. It's not 2007 but, anymore, 2009, whenever it was. But I think he can handle, I, I have no concerns about his ability to handle volume if it's offered to him. Like, he was able to do it in college um, repeatedly. I, I don't think that that's going to be a problem for him. Uh, I think that I think that Jamal Charles is always the name I come back to with HN. Like, that's always been my preferred comp for him in terms of a guy who was very adept in the receiving game, but never had that, like, Alvin Kamara, like he had one season of 70 catches, which is obviously remarkable. But outside of that one season, his his high was 45 in any other season. Um, and his high in carries is 285 one year. He had 259 was his next. Generally lived in that 230 to 280 range with 40 to 50 catches um, and absurd efficiency every single year. And he did that on really shitty Chiefs teams. So yeah, was- to me, I'm looking at that type of 230 to 280 plus 40 to 50, but way higher touchdown totals and, and potentially even more efficiency because we're doing it on the best offense in the league, not a bunch of four and 12 sad Chiefs teams with like Brock Hubert or whoever the fuck at quarterback. Who? <laughs> Wasn't that a quarterback for the Chiefs at some point? Wasn't there a guy named Brock been, I don't remember. Uh, yeah, so Jamal Charles is an absolutely great example. Jamal Charles, of course, scored... 17.7, one miracle season with 19 touchdowns, and then 16.7 fantasy points. With 25.2. What was the, uh, what's his career average? 5.4 career average yards per attempt. Highest of all time. Most efficient running back in the history of the world. 
It's just really hard to paint a yeah, picture. Yeah, and he had twenty five point two points per game. I mean, that's in yeah. one singular year, and the rest of the years right. is like okay. But you, how many? I mean, how many players are you expecting to put up multiple twenty point per game seasons? Like, I don't know. Twenty five point per game seasons. Like, well, fine. If you want to, he didn't even hit it, twenty another time. He didn't even hit eighteen another okay. time. What's the okay? But he put twenty five, not just twenty. So what? What's the average of his three top seasons? Seventeen, sixteen, and twenty five plus whatever decimals. That's like. That's 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 about an average of twenty points per game over those three peak seasons. I don't know what the decimals were. Nineteen point three. Right. Okay. I, I'll I'll take that. I'll take nineteen point three points per game right. on an average of his best three seasons. Yeah. But in the Miami offense, I think that we're going to go higher than that. How can we go higher than like six yards per carry? Six point. Well, we're gonna have more touchdowns. He scored 19 and 14 touchdowns in those two of those seasons. It changed well, like 19 touchdowns a year. I like I like the sound I like the sound of that 19. He might <laughs> score 17 touchdowns per year. Raheem Mostert has 13 already. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Raheem Mostert. Raheem Mostert, we've played seven games this year. And Raheem Mostert and Devon Achan have combined for 20 touchdowns. Pardon me. Yeah, he's got 11 touchdowns in seven games. He's going to score 20 touchdowns this year. Yeah, he is. Oof. And that's with HN having, like, what, seven? I mean, they also scored 70 points in one game out of seven. Right. So that's my point. I want the players who score. I want the players who play on the teams who are capable of scoring 70 points per game. You yeah. don't. <laughs> I think it really comes down. Like, I don't think he's unfairly priced right now. I'll say that. Like, for where he is right now in Fantasy Calc, where was he? Which is way uh, too low. RB8. No, sorry. RB10. Which is egregious. Which feels a little low to me. I don't know that it's like crazy low. I don't know why he would be lower than, say, Kenneth Walker. Like, I'd probably have Devin A. Chain and Kenneth Walker together. And uh, I'm probably still taking ETN and Taylor, and I'm definitely taking Gibbs ahead of him. But he's probably uh, next I'm guy. definitely taking HN over Gibbs for sure. I don't have a problem with taking Taylor ETN if you need to win now because of the injury situation, but um, I'm probably taking HN above those guys in a vacuum. Oh, this is a wild, wild, wild world we're living in. I feel like you think that the Dolphins are going to score at this pace for the rest of eternity. Um, I think that they're going to score at a very high pace for a while. How I'm many not going to say the rest of eternity. Well, can I say the rest of Tyreek Hill's TV. prime? For the rest of Tyreek Hill's prime, is that what you said? Yeah. So give me like another two years on top of this one. Let's just see here. The Miami Dolphins are currently scoring 34.3 fantasy points per game, or sorry, regular points per game, which is six higher than second place. Yeah, so that's probably too high, but I do think that they will be. I mean, I think that they are likely to be top three in the NFL, if not top one in scoring for the next few years. Let's let's go ahead and drop him into San Francisco, which is number two. And let's say he's Christian McCaffrey, but he's not. So much better. What is he? What is he in San Francisco? Like Raheem Mostert? No. This guy, this guy immediately made Raheem Mostert look like a secondary piece in the Miami offense. <clears throat> Pardon me. 
All right. Well, I think we've we've bludgeoned this one to death. Uh, I'm taking under legendary as like strong starter. You're taking over legendary yes. as best player. Be a, be a, why don't you just be a man and stuff him in a locker? <laughs> stuff him in a locker. Okay. We got to go rapid fire for the rest of these because we're already at an hour. Sorry, oh, this is unbelievable. I can't believe you did this to me again. Tony Pollard, okay, you Tony Pollard, your, your prior Devin A. Chain. You went to the mat okay. for Tony Pollard. Now he sucks. What's going on? Uh, I think he'll be a starter. I, I mean, it, it, he probably needed to have like a truly legendary season to sign a really lucrative contract next year. I still think he's personally fine. I've seen people talk about his ankle, whatever. I, I think that really it's he's getting failed by Mike McCarthy in the same way that every Cowboy is being failed by Mike McCarthy. I definitely expect a very strong rest of the season for Pollard. I mean, I think that he's going to get some regression in terms of even in spite of how bad this offense is, like eventually the left guard's going to hit on a block and he's going to walk into the end zone on one of these carries. But the the level of this offense is right now, I think you have to have concerns about every Cowboys consistency for the rest of the season. Um, so I don't think we see the type of impact season for Pollard that leads to like a four-year, $50 million contract, which is probably what he needed to be a full-on superstar. I think he's still a very good player. He'll land somewhere, either Dallas or wherever next year, and be a starting fantasy running back. Um, that's that's where I land on him. So he's scoring 15.2 fantasy points per game this year. 15.3. What's his, what's, his, uh, what's his XPPG? He's, like giving, he's giving back all of the expected fantasy points that he's gained he's over the last four points. years. Probably, probably one of the biggest underperformers in expect, expected fantasy points per game. Uh, so he's at 15.3 this year. He's at 15.6 last year. So he's basically just Josh Jacobs. Is that where we're at with Tony Pollard? Uh, it's pretty painful it's to, get, Josh to watch him get like used like he's Josh Jacobs. Yeah. I think that, he, yeah, he's, he's a starter. He's fine. He's whatever. He's a guy that's going to be a player. He's not a superstar. He's not the best running back in the world despite prior convictions and that's fine turns out that zeke wasn't holding him back after all come on uh i i, I definitely think if he i do think he might have lost a step from this injury like he doesn't look quite as explosive to me um but I, injury, I still think a lot of it could have just been small sample size no. sizes hard to know <laughs> Uh, this no, if, if I think this is getting like where people are retconning, like we already saw last year, like he was sustaining a significant role over the entire second half of the year. Like I, I have no time for this whole like actually it was a fraud all along. Like that fine. If this if this season was happening like in twenty twenty one, sure, like that would be pretty plausible. I think that lost any form of plausible deniability last year. Um if this had all happened one year earlier where we get Pollard in this role last year with Kellen Moore, I think we're looking at a, at a truly incredible season. I still, I still have not given up hope that we're going to get one over the last half of this year. Like I have serious concerns about this offense, but the role is still really strong. They still have a lot of good players on this offense. I, I think that they're not that far away from figuring it out. If McCarthy looks in the mirror and is like, fine, I'm going to not do shotgun inside runs on second and 10. <laughs> do you think that McCarthy last till next season like is it the start is the starting co head coach you think he's a starting head coach next season do you think he's the um i mean it depends on season? what it depends on what they do i think that they have to get to like the nfc championship game for that to be the case yeah i don't uh, think he's gonna and, be head coach and i think game. that it's i think they basically have to get to the nfc championship game for that to be the case i don't think that they'll get to the nfc championship game because um 
it, it looks like they're you know they probably are in tough to win the division at this point they're a game behind philly and that means that they probably have to go on the road in the playoffs and beat one of san francisco or philadelphia which is like not impossible but you you would not pick them in that spot um <laughs> and they're probably gonna have to play a road game in round one right and maybe yeah. it'll be maybe against detroit it'll be maybe against the nfc south winner um probably like them in that game but it's uh you know, if, if they if they're going to make the playoffs, but uh, if, if they look this listless on offense all year and go out in the first or second round, I can't imagine that they just run it back with Mike McCarthy. What and, I, and they shouldn't. I'm struggling to remember the former coach of the Cowboys' name now. Uh, Jason Garrett is that his name? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Jason Garrett was like a master of like taking no responsibility. Like that's why he yeah. was known as the clapper, right? Like. Every yeah. time something went wrong, Jason Garrett could be like, hey, you know, I clapped. I did my job. Fucking OC didn't do his job. That's why we lost. Or the defensive coordinator or, you know, whatever. Somebody right. else's fault. Mike McCarthy, like, went on a limb, was like, actually, we're going to punt the guy that wants to score points. I'm going to take over. So that way when the offense sucks, it's clearly my fault. And I just feel like he's got no, like, scapegoat. Like, the offense it's is just- his fault now. And it used to be awesome. He took over. It's immediately terrible. The only thing that changed is the the straw that stirs the drink is gone. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's the only thing that changed. Like we still have Dak Prescott. We have CeeDee Lamb. We have uh, – oh, no, you know, we lost the tight end. Who is the tight end again? Um, Dalton Schultz. Dalton Schultz says he's gone. So that's probably what – They added Cooks. They had a cook, so yeah. offset that. So yeah, it's just—I mean, this—it's just so bad right now. They're su- they're such an irksome team because they have a legitimately good defense, and their offense, like, so clearly should be good. Like, they have Dak, they have CD, they have Pollard, they have like Gallup seems to just be horrible now. But um, Cooks is is like I—I I mean, it's hard because the data would tell you that he's ho- that he's completely <clears throat> washed. When I watch him, I still think he looks like he has juice, but he's being used to run all these dumb clear out routes. It's just, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm tired of talking about the Cowboys. I, I'm right. tired of watching the Cowboys. Um, I'm tired of Mike McCarthy. Just like, I'm tired of Mike McCarthy doing his best to prove what I consider to be two of my greatest arch enemy contingents of Twitter, which is the Dak Sucks Twitter and the Pollard is overrated Twitter and McCarthy is like just fan servicing both of these groups at the same time every single week. And it, it's tilting me into oblivion. Um, Love to see it. We'll see. So we'll see what happens in them. I fully expect them to lose a playoff game in dramatic form and embarrassing form and for Twitter to have a meltdown about it. It's going to be great. Okay. Next up is Josh Jacobs. We'll skip him. Then Alvin Kamara just confirm he's like a high end RB one rest of season. I kind of think he's not. You think he's not? Yeah, this is a hot take. Um, okay, well, I was going to skip him, but I guess we won't. I think he's going to be a low-end RB1 the rest of the season. I, I think that he's benefiting a little from Derek Carr's shoulder injury happening right before Kamara got back, which is turning Carr into even more of a checkdown merchant than he already is. And Kendra Miller reportedly had a shoulder issue. Jamal Williams reportedly on a snap count. I think people might be slightly overreacting to how good this role was with everybody healthy when, in fact, I don't think the other two guys actually were healthy. Camaro's not actually been that impressive on the ground. He hasn't even been that particularly impressive receiving efficiency-wise. He was stoned three times in a row in a goal line series. 
He has several assignments in pass protection. His pass protection has always been awful um, in recent years. I, I think that this role that he's in is not very good for the Saints. I don't think that the Saints have rational coaches, so I'm not going to say that it's a certainty that that role will be scaled back. But I would be personally surprised. I think that if I think that if we look back in a few weeks, he's going to be losing some third and longs to Jamal Williams for pass protection reasons. He's going to be losing some goal line work to Jamal Williams and Taysom Hill. And he's still going to be earning a million targets on early downs. Um, but I think we're looking at more like 12 carries per game and seven to eight targets per game than like his currently fucking insane role. Of okay, well, let's be sure. Like, his expected fantasy points per game right now is 27.3. I'm not expecting that. But I am expecting somewhere around his actual points per game, which is 21.7. I think he's probably like a 21. Yeah, I'm going to take a hard under on 21. He's a he's got a 24.4% target share thus far. I'll take the under on that. Well, that's not going to continue, but he's got a long way to go down before he's not a top five contender. I'm going to take, from this point forward, I will take the under on top five. All right. I'm going to take the top five line. I'm, I'm in on top five. Okay. So you are stuffing him in a locker, just to be clear, and I'm saying that he's a <laughs> legendary running Also, in terms of next year, I have no idea with Alvin Kamara. Like, he's just not very good anymore, um, in my opinion. So I don't think that he's assured of anything. I also think that for as long as a team wants to feature him, he's still very good at some things, which is like running routes and catching the ball. So to me, it's like he's either going to score like 17-plus points per game or like be out of the league. I don't know which one. Like... Like Leonard Fournette is currently out of the league, but if he was in the league, I bet he'd be scoring seventy points per game. <laughs> like, <laughs> <it's> like <laughs> that's that's exactly Alvin Kamara's path, though. Like he he will be a seventeen eighteen points per game player until he's sitting on his couch mid season saying he's going to sign next week. Just wait, <laughs> right? Like, like I so, still fully, but like I I've always believed that Leonard Fournette sucks. But like he, he obviously is a very fantasy friendly skill set, and yeah. I still fully believe that like should a certain running back like suffer some sort of injury that and Leonard Fournette was to get the call and play half a season, I like still believe today he could score eighteen fantasy points per yeah. game for a six week stretch to end this season. Like I still have not dropped him off some dynasty. I'm not dropping him until like two years from now. <laughs> like, I believe that in two years he will still be able to come off the couch because I don't believe he was ever in very good shape. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So I don't know if I don't know if Alvin Kamara is going to be uh, like the one thing that I feel very confident about Alvin Kamara next year is he's not going to score 13 points per game. I think he's going to score like <laughs> 16 plus, or he's going to be a free agent. <laughs> totally. Okay. Next guy is the one you're most famously incorrect on. Your worst take ever. Uh, DeAndre Swift. Where are we going with DeAndre Swift? Uh, he's like a starter now, and I think he'll be a starter somewhere, either the Eagles or wherever. Yeah, I think he's like a locked-in NFL player at this point. Like, when the Lions were like throwing him in the trash, I was like, oh man, like what if it's over? Uh, never felt like that was like a true possibility because I felt like his you know receiving game was strong enough that he would find a role. But I was like, what if? Like this could. Be I mean, it. by the the receiving game is like very meh. By the way, in Philly, like I think people are like. Like, it's it's okay. It's nothing yeah, close not. to the peak of DeAndre Swift. And what's no. really happening is that they're just is that he's, you know, frankly, like 
he's a really good line, not necessarily like what i thought but it's like no he isn't but he's very good for the system incredible rushing running back it's a it's a fantastic fit if he's with philly next year then i think he'll certainly be a very high-end starter again and we'll see what kind of money he demands like it's an awesome fit for for him like maybe they maybe they're willing to go up to a certain number it's his hometown team maybe he's willing to take a discount like if they could get him signed for something reasonable, then I think he'll continue to be a starter, high end, like low end RB one for a while. I don't think he'll find a better situation than this. This is this is a perfect perfect match for him. Yeah, I don't I don't have the number, but he's still getting like probably it's thirteen point two percent for the season, but he really didn't play in week one. So like for the season that he's actually played, he's still getting like a fifteen percent target share probably somewhere thereabouts, uh, which is like really good. That's like top five target share. So he is 34th okay. in yards per route run at 0.87. Doesn't matter. He's 19th on this one. So I'll go with this one. It's a lot better. Much higher cutoff, I think. Uh, anyways, he's, uh, yeah, he's a, you know, a strong starter from this point forward. Uh, Derek Henry, we can skip Isaiah Pacheco. I'm assuming you're. You're all in on Isaiah Pachenko. You think he's no waste in motion. Uh, uh, I mean, like, I, I think Pacheco is, like, honest. I honestly think that he's, like, actually underrated. Like, I think that people just act like they, like, totally sucks. And I don't think he totally sucks. Like, he has he has actual juice. And, you know, it, it, fits, it fits what they need out of a running back with the Chiefs, which is, like, everybody's focused on Mahomes. Everybody's dropping back. You're getting constant light boxes. You're the last person anyone's paying attention to. And you just got to be able to run fast in a straight line. And he can do that. And Clyde can't. (laughs) Right. And he can't do that. Like you look at the running backs who have had success in the system. And it's like Damian Williams and Jarek McKinnon and Isaiah Pacheco. And it's like, what can they do? They can run fast in a straight line. And that's, that's like really 85% of the battle of playing running back for the chiefs. Um, I still don't think he's like at all special. And he has basically, he will continue to be a starter for as long as the Chiefs don't decide to emphasize the running back position again. Um, I don't think that they will, but I wouldn't be shocked if they did. Yeah, I think that he is, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's going to be stuffed in a locker probably within the next two years. I'm not willing to say it's next year, but it's, it's, it's coming. Well, definitely within the next two years. Like he's like, He's probably he going to be Walker by next. He, ex- he will expire at the at the end of his rookie contract. Is his time of death? Like he has two more years beyond this at the most, and in each of those in each of those years is highly uncertain. Yeah, I would say like he's running back sixteen right now, and I absolutely do not have him in that spot. Or if I do, yeah, I mean, he's a hard sell at that price. I mean, it's everything is everything is going his way right now. Like you couldn't ask for a better situation. He has a bunch of receivers that don't earn any targets, and his only competition in his backfield is like one of the worst running backs in the league, in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and like a very old man satellite back, and Jarek <laughs> McKinnon. So like, he oh, he got extremely lucky for them to add literally nobody to the running back room and just run back Ceh and McKinnon. I mean, part of it is that I think they looked at it this year and they were like, look, CEH, he's under contract. It's good enough, whatever. McKinnon will come back and he costs nothing. It's whatever. Like, you look at next year, it's like CEH is no longer on his rookie contract. McKinnon, like, he's probably going to retire at some point here soon. Um, And if they look at it and they're like, oh, like, we actually need to add another running back, like, 
it's almost certain that whatever RB2 they add is a more imposing threat than the McKinnon CEH yeah. uh, combo. Yeah, I think he's he may not be stuff in a locker over the offseason, but I think he'll be stuff in a locker by the the end of next season. Like, yeah, that would he's not going to make it through next season. Okay, next up, uh, Javante Williams, RB7. Um, I think he'll be something between starter and stuff in a locker. Mostly really? because Angel Leon McLaughlin is legitimately no. awesome. Awesome. Uh, awesome. Not awesome as in like they need to make him the feature back and stuff Javante Williams in a locker, but as <laughs> in like I think they should continue to find ways to involve him in this offense. Um, and I think that they will. Like this is like Sean Payton's little pet project and he's done everything that you could possibly expect. So I, I think that we're we're fully in committee zone for them. And I think all, the one nice thing about this Denver situation is they they have a lot of high-value touches that go to running backs as a percentage of their offense. Their offense is just really ineffective. But if they are able to make this offense good next year and you know figure out the quarterback position, figure out whatever else they need to figure out, um, I do think that there's upside here for the running backs to potentially both be startable. Um, and I, you got to think like P. Ryan's not in the picture next year, and they, they eventually just work this down to a two-running back rotation. I also don't think they have any reason to bring in any other running backs. Like, I think they already have more running backs than they need, frankly. Yeah. I, I'm i way more optimistic on Javante Williams and way more bullish on the bad running back that you like, whose name I already forgot, Jaleel McLaughlin. You mean bearish. Bearish, sorry. Yes, I'm swatting him down. That's correct. I'm bullish on Javante, and I'm bearish on the other guy. I, like Javante is, he's he's clearly in a timeshare yet again, but he is still somehow getting eleven point four percent target share. Yeah, he has and, thrown the ball on early, and he never plays a single passing down. Like P Ryan actually plays them. Yeah, so I, I mean both both McLaughlin and Williams have been like getting targets on early downs at a pretty interesting rate. Yeah, I think that there's a lot more uh, a lot more in the tank. Uh, a lot more meat on the bone, maybe, is a way to put it, for Javante. And I think he is still remains one of like the cheapest guys who could actually be like a day one full-on three down, or maybe not three down, but like 15% target share, 250 rushing attempts guys next season. On week one, I think that's well within the range. I'm putting them, like I, I probably still have them, not at JT and ETN and those guys, but like the notch below that. The yeah, notch I'll below take a few below that. Yeah, I'll take a few notches um, on that one. I mean, I don't have an issue. I think Javon has looked way better the last two weeks, so I don't have an issue with him talent-wise. And, and like, I don't um, know if you remember, he's also coming off like a very significant knee injury. Oh, for sure. So like, come on. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not disinterested in Javante. Sounds like uh, you are. No, I'm not. I, I'm. I'm probably like okay with his price. That sounds like disinterested when he's one of the most. I'm, I'm buying. I think. I think Jaleel is like a must buy for everybody though. Like, Why would Jaleel be a must buy? He's the all-time NCAA leader in rushing at Youngstown State. Uh, well, in all of America, but that is where he did it. Uh, Comes into the NFL as a super productive back. 
gets a shot on a depth chart where they were already committed to Javante via draft capital and then heavily committed to Piran. They made him like a first day of free agency signing. Immediately displaces him as the second running back in this committee. And they're designing plays for him every single week. Like when you're talking about a UDFA and a UDFA with two other guys at his position who play, like you're never going to just see that guy immediately step in and usurp everything. But when you see that they're like, we have to find ways to get this guy the ball every week in a game plan, despite having one other very good running back, Javante, another capable running back in P. Ryan, like that, that's how you get my attention. Um, and he's been great every time they've handed the ball um, or thrown on the ball. He's been extraordinarily efficient in a horrible offense. Um, it's it, This is a guy that has serious talent. I have no idea like what the ceiling is on him long-term or whatever, but I, I'm just telling you guys, like this is a player and – if there's a chance to still get him at below second round value, I promise you that the arrow is only going up. So this is a guy that's 5'8", 187 pounds, runs a 4.51, speed score in the 30th percentile, burst score in the 14th, agility score in the can't even read that 19th. Undrafted, playing ahead of P Ryan, which is impressive, I guess got a 26% opportunity share for seven weeks. I'm just, I'm just not seeing the appeal. I mean, for his price, sure, it's fine. But I'm not going to be like, I'm, I'm certainly not going to go and be like, Javante Williams can't be a superstar because of Jaleel McLaughlin. Oh, I'm not going to say can't. I'll just say won't. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So, I'm not going to say Jaleel McLaughlin can't be a superstar because of Javante is, Williams. It's hard to believe that after getting DeAndre Swift so wrong, you're going to go ahead and make the same, not the same mistake, but an even Yeah, I mean, this DeAndre watch. Swift thing is like, I mean, first of all, we drafted the crap out of him in redraft this year, so it's going pretty well. And also, the main point was like, his ceiling isn't actually that high. It was like, he's every single thing that is you could ask for DeAndre Swift has gone perfect this year. He's hit a royal flush, and he has 15 points per game, which is like, good, and it's a win. But that's why... When the price got really low, I was very interested. And when you were saying he was a massive buy as like a fifth round startup pick, it was like, eh, where's the juice beyond the squeeze? Like he's a hit at that price, but like everything went right and he's fine. All right. We only have I mean you're you're currently victory lapping a swift Pollard bet that you're losing by point one points per game, which should tell you a lot about <laughs> it's a lot of fun, isn't it? Victory. Victory lapping, losing a bet. It's it does seem like a it does seem fun. <laughs> All right, David Montgomery. Uh David Montgomery will be unfortunately still a starter. He he's like I don't know what he is. He's like not stuffed in the locker, but he's also like I don't even know. Like yeah, I have a category in my rankings called streamer, which is like yeah, a tick below sure. starter, which is like a guy you can start but you don't really want to. I think David Montgomery will be a streamer. Yeah, fair. We'll add a category for David Montgomery. I think that fits. Yeah. I don't think we're going to do it. Kyron Williams. Uh, Stuff in the locker. Stuff in the locker. locker. He's, he's like the number locker. one. Let me just check locker. here. I lied. He's not number one. Devon A. Chain is number one in PFF rushing grades. So you know this metric has solid predictability because he is the best running back the world has ever seen. And number two is Raheem Mostert. That's not Kyron Williams. Number three is Chris Books, also not Kyron Williams. Has- but number wait, did four. You see, wait, wait, wait. Did you see Chris Brooks? Yeah. The Dolphins have one, two, and three. Correct. 
<laughs> so you can obviously tell that this PFF rushing grade. It is was kind of funny when Raheem Mostert was still. number two, but it became really funny when Chris Brooks was number three. <laughs> <laughs> Who's so fourth? Brooks. I was telling Jacob, I'm like, I'm not sure this PFF. Like, I know the PFF rushing grade isn't great. I've tested it like every year for the last yeah. four years. It's like fine-ish. It's not good. Uh, it's better than nothing. But uh, number four is Kyron Williams. Number five is Julian McLaughlin. So I'm just confused as to how Devin A. Chain is the best running back we've ever seen. Jaleel McLaughlin is a slam dunk, never going to let Javante Williams break out. And then Kyron Williams is stuff in a friggin' locker? This is crazy. Yeah, so his uh, he did have a legitimately impressive game, both by like PFF rushing grade and all the NFL next-gen stats, basically anything you want to look at in his last game where he got injured against Arizona. He was, uh, he was legitimately really, really impressive in that game. Prior to that week, he was like near the absolute league bottom in RYOE, near the league bottom in rushes over expectation percentage. He had had two separate weeks where he saw like the full starter workload and posted the lowest rush yards over expectation of the entire week. He's still well below average um, on the next-gen stats metrics for the year. I think he is... He fits actually in with, you know, I don't think PFF grades have a whole lot of predictability, but you can get some sort of descriptive element when you start mashing all of the stats together and you start watching the backs and you start thinking about the broader context of their profile. Sometimes the pattern starts to click into place and it really clicks into place with Kyron in the sense that like there's a contingent of film Twitter that has always loved this guy. He's never had the sufficient athleticism to play the position falls in the draft. He's getting good grades in a very like binary grading system, but yet he's not really producing the results. Like that's the classic what happens of guy who knows how to play running back, guy who makes the right decisions, guy who just does not have the juice to convert those right decisions into yards at an efficient enough clip consistently. Um, so I, I still think this Kyron situation is like kind of a stopgap for a Rams team that is just not really emphasizing the position and he's able to do everything competently. Um, but I, I don't think that like a serious NFL franchise would go into their next season with a small, slow running back. I just need you to know, even despite if you take out that really good game that he had, he's still PFF's RB 10 and rush grade. Yeah, I buy that. He was like, um, I can't sort by weeks, unfortunately, with RYOE. He was, I think, like bottom five. I, he wasn't last, but he was darn close. Uh, and he's still well below. But like that that week buoyed him there, and, and that week like really buoyed him on the rushing grade. Um, yeah, like Brian Robinson fits into this category of a guy who's always graded out way better by PFF than he has in most advanced metrics. A.J. Dillon has as well, actually. Um I think there's like something to like the Brian Robinson example, I think makes a lot of sense too, where it's like, here's a guy who's like, I think most people agree is like a pretty sound running back that just like, doesn't really have the pop. Yeah. That makes sense. We can all, we can both agree that Kyron Williams getting stuff in a locker. And uh, yeah, I don't, I, PFF rushing grade. Like I said, it's never something I really lean into. I, even when you like, when you look at like, passing grade it's like okay this kind of makes sense like the good players are mostly at the top the bad players are mostly at the bottom look at pff receiving grade same thing it's not perfect 
But like for the most part, players at the top are good players. Players at the bottom are bad players. You look at PFF rushing grade, and it's like, what the hell is this? Like this doesn't make any sense. It's it's still got like reasonable correlation to n plus one points per game. It's like it's not good, but it's like fine, whatever. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just so funny though. Like when you look at it, it's like Christian McCaffrey. Where is he? I don't even see him. He's quite low. He's thirty-one. He's got a sixty-eight yeah. grade. So like, not that McCaffrey is like the best. Uh, no, but the I best. think he's a better runner than Kyron Williams. Yeah, like Christian McCaffrey's a fine running back per se. I mean, his specialty is obviously not running though. But like, yeah, I don't know. It's like DeAndre Swift is only at seventy nine point nine. He's clearly one of the best rushers in the NFL. So I don't. It's it's just hard to say. Chris Brooks, obviously, right on track, <laughs> generational, alongside Devin Achane, Raheem Mostert. I'm starting to wonder if there's maybe some team aspect to this grading system. Uh, anyways, okay. Uh, we only got a few more, and then we'll shut her down. In fact, we'll skip Nick Chubb because whatever. Tajay Spears, do you think he's got a uh, I think that he was a great person to bet on prior to the season because the chances of him being worth a lot more in January and February than he was prior to the season were great. He's been more impressive than I thought he would be. Like, you watch some of his plays in the open field, he's pretty dope. Um, I don't know. This is just a vibes-based take because, like, I like I like the player a lot more now than I did prior to the season. But can you really picture like the Boomer Titans going into a season with Ty J Spears as their bell cow back? That's just I don't see Mike Vrabel doing that. Um, no. So I feel like the most likely scenario is that they add some sort of bigger body guy and it's like a split and that he's kind of like a streamer starter type kind of like what the bills are doing with James cook, where it's like James cook is getting the chance, but he's also still at a 50, 50 snapshot with Latavius Murray. Yeah. I think Taji Spears is maybe he's not stuffing the locker out of the league, but he's also completely not interesting to me whatsoever. Najee Harris. Um, I think that they'll probably just let him keep having half the snaps and play out his rookie contract, but he's, yeah, he's not going to matter. I don't know if that's a starter or a streamer or whatever it is. It's Najee Harris. Yeah, I agree. I, I recall having like, I did a thread. I can't remember. It wasn't about Najee Harris, but I talked about Najee Harris in it and it really set a lot of people off. But I was like, yeah, he's probably like going to reduce his workload. He's not that good. Uh, volume's great, but it often doesn't last. If you're not good, yeah. and I feel like people were like so mad at me for that, and they're like, the Steelers always have one running back, no matter what. And then obviously yeah. that's incorrect, and I win. I feel like they've, uh, yeah, I think that they've already like made it an, as much of a split as they can make it without it being embarrassing. Yeah, and so it's like. If if Warren was to like make it so that it was just functionally impossible for them to justify it being a split anymore, maybe he fully gets stuffed in a locker. But I, I think that's probably not super likely because I think that Warren's probably more interesting and fun than he is good. Um, so I think the most likely scenario is that they basically just ride out this exact split for the duration of Dodgy's rookie contract. And then they let him walk and then they decide if they're going to make Warren the feature guy for one year or if they 
want to do someone else or make it a different committee or whatever. But I think they'll just let Najee be like the nominal starter and have 55% of the snaps for a while. <laughs> All right. Damien Pierce. Man, this sucks. Cause I like legitimately still do think that this guy's a good player. Um, it's just, it hasn't translated to fantasy um, or real life data that support that this year. Um, I still would put a lot of that at the fate of the O-line. Like I still watch him have several impressive looking runs that result in two yards every week. Um, at a certain point though, like I think when you don't have that protection of draft capital or, and you're working under a new regime, like even if it's not your fault, teams just start to associate you carrying the ball with the play ending a lot earlier than they wanted it to. Um, and I think that's kind of what's happening to him right now. Where like, I don't really think it's his fault, but I think that they're just kind of sick of calling plays that start with number 31 and end in two yards. Um, so I think, I think he's going into the locker. Yeah, I think he is too. He's, he's scoring 8.6 fantasy points per game right now for what it's worth. That is yeah. running back 37, which is really saying something about running back production. That it's only one running back 37. I'm, I'm going to say this about Damian Pierce. I think he's going to get stuffed in a locker. And I think he's going to sign somewhere for like a one-year, $2 million contract in two years when his contract with the Texans is up. And I think he's going to have a really great year somewhere. I think what's going to happen is he's going to end up being a backup running back somewhere. Starter will get hurt. He will be inserted. He'll break a bunch of tackles. Everyone will say, wow, he was good after all. And then he'll get stuffed in the locker again after a short duration because he might have the Deonta Foreman career where every year he has a really good season and people are like, why doesn't anyone make him a starter? And then they don't, but then he goes somewhere else. The starter gets injured again. And then he does the same thing again where yes. he runs for like five yards to carry. And it's like, why does no one ever value this guy? I don't know. Um, that does see, I, I definitely see like Deonta Foreman um, second act for his career, but I could also see like a James Conner second act. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I would probably put him more in the form and never actually gets committed to era. Uh, Aaron Jones. Cooked? Man, uh, he, still, he sure looked awesome in week one. Um, hard not to get concerned when old men start to suffer hamstring injuries and setbacks to those hamstring injuries. Not going to run him off because like I thought that the end might be coming for Keenan Allen last year when he had that like eight-week-long hamstring injury. And yeah. the end is not here yet for Keenan Allen. But, um, yeah, I think the other issue is Aaron Jones, I think, is a free agent after this year at last. So he probably needs to put together a stretch here. Who knows, man? He came back the first time, then he missed another game. He came back this time, and they said he's sore. He's not practicing. Um, yeah, that the leg doesn't seem right. So I guess I'm going to say stuffed but i really hope that i'm wrong because he's one of my favorite players to have watched really ever and i hope this isn't the end for him yeah i'm gonna say stuff too he's he's 30 years old 29 years old and uh injuries ineffectiveness like it's all kind of happening it could be jordan love like he's he's playing in just an atrocious offense so like it could be jordan love's fault that he's not scoring a lot of points but even last year he only scored four well it's really i mean he basically played week one he was awesome. And then he got hurt at the end of week one. And then he's had two games where he's been on a snap count and like aggravated his injury. Oh, I didn't realize he was on a snap count. I just thought he like, he played 46% of the snaps in week one. He's usually like a 50% guy. 
and then I just he's at 35 and 36 the next two weeks. It's like whatever, nothing extreme. I didn't think, but maybe it is. Oh, he's never been below. He's never been at 36. Before. He's at 46 because he left the first game injured. He was he played 75 percent of the snaps until he got hurt. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, and then he well. and then he and then they came back Thursday night. They said he was on a snap count. He aggravated his injury, then missed the next week, and then he mm-hmm. aggravated again this week, and he sore not practicing. So okay. I think well, it's he's a I think like the one I think the one week that he was awesome, or the one week that he was healthy, he was fantastic. I, I have no clue if he's going to get back to health. I mean, it seems like every time he plays, he re-aggravates his hamstring and he's old. So yeah, all right. Well, I guess I really still don't change my tune. I think he's stuffed in a locker. He's twenty nine. And he's dealing with injuries, and he's 29 as a running back. Like that's 33 as a wide receiver. So it's yeah unpleasant. Uh, two more players: Rashad White. Rashad White has oh, been like in a locker. so good. He's getting like all the touches. Yeah, I mean nobody does the least with the most like Rashad White. Let me, let me just check. I think he might be number one overall in touches in the world. <laughs> It's actually he's probably not far off. Uh, he is second to last in rush yards over expected. Um, he, I don't know what his PFF rushing grade is. Maybe it's great. Uh, probably the eye awesome. Test has been, the, the, eye, awesome. the eye test has not been kind of Mr. White, in my opinion, for the most part this season. Um, yeah, I mean, he's been, he's been doing the – we've seen this story before. Low pedigree back comes in, gets job for a year by default, uh, doesn't do well. Team moves on. So he's getting he's a 76.7% snap share, number six in the world. Number eleven in opportunity share, number uh twenty-eight in fantasy points per game. So he's right on track with the opportunity. And uh everything is terrible. Even even his expected opportunity is only number 19, 14 points per game. So he's 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 just awful. And it was like it feels terrible to say it was obvious, but like it felt so obvious. Like he was like the guy that was like the the traditional dead zone guy, like yeah. like just so clearly the dead zone guy. And anyways, it's yeah, you have him, Madison, Miles Sanders, Cam Akers, like the the very traditional dead zone he picks. Um, They're all dead. Not going well. Yeah. <laughs> okay, last guy, James uh, Conner. This is running back thirty in the world. You didn't mention James Cook, who I think would be an interesting person to talk about. But uh, well, he's, James Con, James Connor is like the same thing as Aaron Jones. Like he's really old and he's significantly hurt, and he's a free agent next year. Like, oh, I, I, I think I think your best case scenario for James Connor would be like I don't I don't see any team signing him next year to like be the starter um, at thirty years old, but I could see a team giving him like a small contract to split a backfield with someone. And then maybe things break in his direction over the course of the season. And you get one more season out of him piling up fantasy points or he never does anything. And it's like, he's Zeke or Dalvin or whatever. But um, I think probably your best case scenario is that he's like a contingent upside back who falls ass backward into volume next year. It would It'd be pretty surprising if a team went in with the week one plan of giving him an 80% opportunity share ever again. Yeah. So I, I agree. He's what, like, he'll come back. He'll probably play a fair bit. And then next year he'll be timeshare guy with some contingent upside. If things all break, it's whatever. I, I yeah. skipped a bunch of guys accidentally by scrolling down. So let's just go back to like 
oh, two geez. guys that I really wanted to talk about. I don't know why okay. I skipped over them. Ramondre Stevenson. Um, yeah, this is kind of the Damian Pierce thing where like I still think he's good, but the offense has been bad, and it's just uh, all, signs of life, I think, the last two weeks, which is nice to see for him. But I think he's probably getting – I think it – I think he's a pretty high risk of getting stuffed. I think your margin for the margin for bad luck for low draft capital players without explosiveness is just really limited, yeah. um, and it doesn't seem like it's going his way this year. But um, I don't know. He, he made a made a pretty incredible play on the final drive last week, so hopefully we see more of that from him. Yeah, I wouldn't count on anything the rest of the season. I wouldn't count on anything next year. So I guess I'm at. Stuffed in a locker, even though I think he'll still be in the NFL. Like, I don't think he's going to get replaced entirely. I just don't think we're ever going to see Ramondre Stevenson in the way that fantasy gamers wanted to see it. Yeah, we probably saw his best season in, um, yeah, 2022, which I mean, look, fourth round running back turns into an RB1 for one season. There are worse, it's a win, it's a win. It's like if you drafted him, you're freaking thrilled, but. Each season, and like honestly, every day, we need to be reevaluating. Does this make any sense at this price? And if you were in on him at this price, or at, if you're in on him in the preseason, you're really unhappy right now. And I don't think it's ever coming back, is where I'm at. Uh, I think that's very unlikely. Yeah. And then James Cook is the last guy. And he was actually RB22. Yeah. I skipped when I, we were talking about Kyron. I was looking at the future guys, and I just went too far. I apologize. Yeah, I mean, this one I really Everyone. think. This one, I really think it kind of go either way. Like, he's been very impressive qualitatively. I think that, you know, but he's been still limited. Like, it's very clear that they, like, value him in the offense. And they want to feature him. When they want to throw the ball to backs, they want to run the ball with backs. He's the guy they want to do it with. But when they want to get into their drop-back passing game, they would rather have Latavius Murray pass protect and be the outlet. And they are still usually preferring Latavius Murray at the goal line. And Latavius Murray, like, isn't good. So Latavius Murray is just a stand-in for not wanting to use James Cook more than it is like wanting to use Latavius Murray. Yeah. So I think that the question is, is like, is this how it's always going to be with James Cook or is this like a multi-year process? Cause we have seen with, you know, guys with this type of skill set, like an Austin Eckler comes to mind as a great example. Tony Pollard comes to mind where it's like, there are guys that get inched along from like straight backup to bit player to timeshare player to actual player. Like it, it doesn't, you know, part of my issue with James Cook in redraft this year was I was saying, like, maybe it does happen one day if he's better than I think, but it's just almost certainly not going to happen all at once. And I, I do think that he is kind of better than I thought, but it hasn't happened all at once. And I guess the question would be, like, then next year it's more put up or shut up time. And I, I think I'm kind of optimistic. So I'll, I'll say starter for James Cook. I'm going to put him in whatever the not out of the league one is, but not a starter. So that would be streamer, I guess. He like he is, what is he, 5'11", 199 pounds, and he's got a 9% target share in an offense that he should have basically all of the, all of the uh, routes. He's only running 48.4% of the routes, uh, which is number 16 in the NFL for running backs. Like I just think a player that size either needs to be exceptional in like a Devin A. Chain standpoint or needs to be a prominent 
pass catcher, and he's definitely not a prominent pass catcher. And I've never seen anyone say he is Devin A. Chain. <laughs> so I'm just no, I mean, he's been legitimately impressive as a runner this year, and by most metrics. I, I mean, I think what's been interesting is like I think that they've I think that they've used him well. They have generally done a ton of like draw, shotgun, sweep concepts in the running game, which I think plays to what he does well. So I'm not surprised these efficiency juiced up. And you know, they've used him really creatively downfield as a pass catcher. Like I, I gotta think his yards per out run is like among the higher yeah, yeah he's one point three seven. He's doing really strong. Um I think they've used him well. I, I think that, yeah, like if it were my team like what would be the benefit of using James Cook at the goal line? What would be the benefit of using him as a pass protector on third and ten? Like, does it make you any more or less predictable? I would not do that. Like, what's what does it serve? What benefit does it serve your team? So, I think that they've used him pretty optimally this year. I expect them to continue using him in this way. We'll see. So it wouldn't shock me if they went more. But. So he's scoring twelve point eight fantasy points per game, which is not terrible. It's number twenty three. He's an RB two, back end RB two. And I've pretty much no interest in it. If I don't really, like I said, I don't see how this gets better for him. Like I, I would I have it's thought just they, it's just they keep building a little bit more each year. I think is how it gets better. I, I don't know that that's necessarily the most likely scenario or the one I'd bet on, but I, I wouldn't necessarily rule it up. Like we have seen this before with these types of backs. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have I mean, all, all really all it takes is they just say one day, like, James Cook, you're going to get the goal line work now. And then all of a sudden, he's probably a 16-point per game back. Maybe. I, like, he's already got 60% opportunity share. Like, he's not. But he's he but he plays, like, side of the... Right, but he plays, but he plays like, zero goal line snaps. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, like, how many goal line backs are 199 pounds? Not a lot. Which I mean, that's that's the concern. So I like I just I don't I don't know why we'd bet on that. Is I guess where I'm coming from. And like if he was a getting a 15% target share, I'd be like yeah, whatever. Like we'll we'll make it up on the right. the air. But he's yeah. still only getting nine percent. Well, that's well maybe that's the easier one. Maybe it's maybe they never give him the goal line work, but maybe they eventually say like you know that's that seems plausible, right? Like why couldn't James Cook like pass protect well enough, like? I feel like that's like something that could happen where they just decide like, okay, fine. Like you pass protect well enough now in 2024 that we would rather have you as a more dynamic player than like play some lug out there on all the comeback mode snaps. Cause like it's very, it's almost counterintuitive with James cook where his snap shares are higher in the games that they win by a lot, which isn't what you'd think of when you think of a pass catching back, but it's because when they're in a position to tailor touches to the running back, that's their guy. Like they clearly view him as the playmaker of the backfield. But when they're like, we just want to drop back to pass and throw to Stefan Diggs, like it's like we would try to have Latavius Murray in there because he's going to block better and he'll he'll catch the ball. It'll be fine. We're not tailoring usage to him, but he'll he'll do no harm. Yeah, we'll throw Latavius Murray in so that we can hold the ball for eight seconds, heave it ninety yards downfield, so Gabriel Davis can drop it. That's perfect. It's a great play. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it is. It is like pretty crazy that thirty-four-year-old or whatever Latavius Murray is playing half the snaps for a theoretically contending team in twenty-twenty-three. Um, and it's kind of—it's even crazier that they didn't think Leonard Fournette could do that. But anyway, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I would 
I would be curious what is like. I would love to know like the behind the scenes of all these like running backs or like all these players in general. And like Leonard Fournette clearly wants to play. He's like, yeah, I'm signing next week, right? And then he doesn't sign anywhere. And it's like, well, why did you say that? Like, did you actually have know. the conversation with someone that said they were going to sign you next week? I'm not or, sure. Like, has he had offers from teams? And like, yeah, we just want to bring you in to be like a guy on the team. And he's like, no, yeah. I'm Leonard Fournette. I'm the guy on the team, so I'll yeah. wait for that. And, it's bizarre. and is he like chasing the Super Bowl? He's like, I'm gonna wait until Maybe. we get to like the last possible moment. I'm gonna sign to this team. I'm gonna right. go win the Super Bowl, and I'm gonna have an awesome time at the party because he seems like he's yeah, you know, who did it right. I mean, how how awesome is Julio Jones on the Eagles? Like, yeah. he's gonna make zero impact in real life or fantasy, but the vibes of this are immaculate. Like, I, oh, yeah. I love this. They're gonna. So I, so, that made me so happy to see that come across the wire. It's like, oh, that's sick. Like Julio gets to play with his friend AJ Brown. Yeah. And AJ gets his friend, and Julio gets to wear the Kelly Green jersey, which is incredible. Amazing. Um, and like the Eagles are just a really fun team with like a lot of fun players, and like it's gonna be so much fun in the playoffs to see like Julio out there. Like it's great. Oh, they're gonna catch a touchdown in a playoff game, and that would be crazy. Yeah, they're gonna have that like uh, win one for Julio vibe. Like it's gonna be, it's gonna, it's yeah. Like, I love that. It would be, they, be they're so playing on to a see him level. finish it out with a Lombardi. Yeah, they're on. They're on a completely different level. Like they're making like locker room decisions mid season. Like, hey, <laughs> who's like the most beloved guy we can bring in here to get right. to rally the troops? Julio Jones, of course. AJ Brown's friend. They play together yeah. in Tennessee. AJ Brown offered him his number. He said no because they're such tight buds. And then we stole AJ Brown from the Titans. <laughs> we, we essentially gave them Traylon Burks. Jokes on them, but uh, you know, bad organizations stay bad, and, and we're the Eagles. So they'll be pillars the Titans again for their star we safety. The Titans again one year later. Yeah, we're our farm team, really. <laughs> it's so, true. It's great. It's great. I, that was the best. Uh, we'll see. I hope. I hope the lady joins them. I gotta say, props to Latavius Murray. Once upon a time, he was like a size, speed, like rusher guy. I don't know if people can remember this far back, but like oh, that yeah. was how he was. Like when he came into the league, it was like, oh, he's this weird, big, tall guy who runs really fast. Um, I don't know if he can ever catch a pass. And like somehow he has lasted to like his age 34 season by becoming like a reliable pass protecting receiving guy. And just want to say, like, good for him, man. Like he made like a decade career out of reliability by completely transforming how he was like perceived as a player um, and dope. That's awesome. Latavius Murray. The other, the, like one thing that's remarkable Latavius Murray, maybe it's cause he doesn't touch the ball that much, but like <laughs> he's played like 13 plus games almost every year. In fact, oh, yeah, I just looked every single year. He's played at least 13 games since he's been in the NFL. That's crazy. And he's got to have played for an, can you know how many, this is how we're going to finish this. Without looking, you're probably already looking. No, I'm not looking. Okay, can you name all of Latavius Murray's teams? No. Uh, he played with the let's, Raiders. Let's try this. He was drafted with the Raiders. Yeah, I'm going to pull up just playing. exactly how many. I want to say there's like seven, but let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, oh, wow. I, I named them. Ex- I got it exactly. Seven. Oh, so, no big deal. Okay, you got Raiders. Okay, I got Raiders. That's one. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's a good start. Then he signed with the Vikings. Correct. Actually, I don't know if you're uh, side tangent. 
remember how like hyped Jarek McKinnon was as Adrian Peterson's backup? Then they got rid of Peterson. McKinnon was going to take over, and they actually just like gave Asiago or something like that. Someone yeah, like that. But they had, well. they had the one fun year with McKinnon and Latavius after Dalvin Cook got and, hurt, and that was like that was kind of fun. Yeah, I like that committee. That was a fun year, and then he. Ended up yeah. signing with the uh, San Francisco. McKinnon went to the 49ers. and he would have he would have been like, Devon Achan um, at that time. I maintain yeah. that he would have had 20 points per game that season if he didn't yeah. tear his ACL. He was. Uh, yeah, I sold him for like a first round pick, I think, right after that trade. After like doing nothing for five years. Anyways, we're off topic. Uh, then we have, I don't know, where do you go? Like the Saints, maybe. Yeah, and then. I don't know. I'm I'm stuck on the the next two, and then he ended up in Buffalo. Then he went to the Ravens. Then he went back to the Saints. Then he went to the Broncos, and then the Bills. I didn't even realize with the Broncos. I'm embarrassed. He was on the Broncos last year. He was like a starter. He had like 20 points per game in the fantasy playoffs last year. I think for Denver. Oh my god. (laughs) I was every every year the guys on a different team, and we're starting them in the fantasy playoffs. It's incredible. He's like one of my. He's one of the true MVPs of the Hitchhiker's Guide to Running Back. Yeah, his last four games last year, he had 25, 8, 13, and 21 points. Way to go, Latavius. So um, I started playing Dynasty in 2015, and I was aggressively was trying like to acquire his second him. year. It was. It was his second year. He was. Yeah. He had 1,000 yards, his best season of his career. I was aggressively trying to trade for him that whole season. <laughs> Could not get him. And then, uh, and then I was like, actually, I don't want him. And then the guy was like, hey, do you want him? I was like, no, I'm, I'm good, actually. And then he actually did score 14. His best season was actually the third year. He scored 14.9, but it was he doubled his yeah. touchdowns, went from 6 to 12. But only oh, yeah. 788 rushing yards. Missed a couple games, though, but still, whatever. doesn't really matter. More yeah, so what I'll always find fascinating. What I always find fascinating is, like, how many, like, talented running backs come in that are, like, a Pollard or a Swift or a – um, James Cook or whatever, HN Gibbs. And it's like so hard to ever expect a coaching staff. Like you're just begging. It's like, is this coaching staff ever going to give these guys 20 carries? And like 33 year old Latavius Murray will get signed off a practice squad somewhere. And it's like, <laughs> team will have no issue giving him 20 carries. <laughs> like, they'll, they'll be like, like <laughs> yeah, that is, that is so true. It's like, we're just pleading for these like talented running backs, young talented running backs to get some carries. And Latavius Murray is like, I was, like, I was on the coach yesterday, but I'd come in and get 20 tomorrow if you want. I got you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. All right. That was an incredible amount of Latavius Murray talk to finish this up. Um, we yeah. promised a 45-minute episode. That was an hour and 54 minutes. Um, sorry, Matt. Um, the rapid-fire round started 54 minutes ago. I'm not sure how rapid-fire was. <laughs> um, and we did actually rapid-fire a lot of them. Like really quickly, and then you gave a really quick take. I gave a really quick take. We moved yeah. on. There was just too many. We did too many players. We just yeah. we went above and beyond for for the listeners. We we appreciate you and needed you to get your fill of Jacob's bad running back takes. All right, uh, my name's Jacob. You can find me thinking about thinking. That's it. That's it. What about on Twitter? How will they find you if they don't oh, know yeah, your at name? Jacob San- at Jacob Sanderson on Twitter. We should bring back the bit about you should change your name back no. so we can bring that back. That was no, a good bit. The bit's, the bit's dead. Try right, well, find you. <laughs> Fair enough. I am DFB Encounter. You can follow me on Twitter at DFB Encounter and also on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash bulletproof FF. And until next time, I hope you win every single fantasy matchup that you have. And 
that's it. Fantastic. Have a good night, morning, afternoon, whatever time it is. <laughs> <laughs>